Hands Touching Hands, Three Sides to Every Rachel, an interview with Gary Humphreys' Kevin Sizemore. It's episode 17 of Resurrection Revealed. Thanks for joining us for another episode of your Resurrection Revealed podcast. This time, it's our full discussion and feedback for Schemes of the Devil and Kevin Sizemore interview. And this is the unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans of ABC TV's Resurrection with theories and a lot more recorded April 30th, 2014. I'm Wayne Henderson, and I still can't believe looking back that I was once a club DJ at a country saloon. Five, six, here you go. And I'm Troy Heinrichs, booking my next vacation in a five-star resort instead of a cabin in the woods, because you never know who will be visiting you there. I'm excited to continue our discussion on this past week's episode, so let's get right into it with the biggest question, and of course that is Rachel 3.0. Now, is that a question or a statement? Uh, Bellamy sure made it like a statement <laughs> as a question. Uh, Rachel? That's true. So... I don't know where to go with this. I'm sure that it's so open-ended that once we see the season finale this coming Sunday, it'll be explained a lot better. But there she is, like you talked about before, again in the dress that she came back in the first time instead of being in the dress that she died in when she was with Kevin Sizemore's character, Gary Humphreys. Yeah, so let's just run it down real quick. Red dress. Mm -hmm. Does she have memories of Rachel 2.0 or not? Is she still pregnant? Does she know where Tom might be located? Does she even know she's in Arcadia at that moment? And of course, is she hungry? (laughs) Odds are she's very hungry, maybe double hungry since she's back yet again. Those are all great questions because those are things that we need to know. And I, it's great to see that she was wearing the red dress again. And I did notice on a side note, the man that looked like he was in a suit from the forties, he had, I believe a red tie on, Now, of course, there were so many people returning in this past episode that I didn't notice if they were all wearing red, but let's assume they are. And as far as Rachel, this is a big turning point for her character. What do you think is going to go on here? That's a really good question. I'm wondering more what happens to Bellamy and how he processes how this event happens because it was you know crazy enough before. Yes. But to have a person re-return from the dead, if that's a concept... That's just got to really be a head scratcher. And what does that do then to Eric Ward's studies? And of course, this question about the miracle blood. Excellent questions. I have no answers, but I do know that a little later in this episode, after the interview with Kevin Sizemore, we do have some listener theories that kind of touch on things and it's a lot better than what I came up with. So we'll hold off then, I guess, going deeper because we want to go deeper with the fans. So my next question for you is Barbara's return. What implications does that have? Well, depending on whether or not she actually returned with this latest group or if she, maybe she's even the first returned. Perhaps she came back even before Jacob. I don't know what the implications are going to be. I mean, now that Sheriff Fred has obviously moved on and it's been a huge number of years, I can't really see them getting back together. But at the same time, There was talk on our last episode, our initial reactions, and of course, since we just barely finished watch the show, run upstairs, get into the studio, and get on mic, we didn't get to fully process everything. That's why they're called initial reactions. But the fact that the bald man and Barbara, they're together. Now, obviously, they didn't both drown together or die at the same time because he is older, but she is the same age. But I still think it's really strange that she's at his place instead of seeking out Fred. Well, I don't really think that Ned Bellamy, who's playing Sam Catlin on the show, I don't know if he's that much older looking than what he was in the pilot episode. Granted, it was a different actor in the pilot episode, but he doesn't look that much older. Like you would assume 30 years had passed. He'd look more like Henry, right? Because they would all been the same age back in the day, or he'd look like, you know, Sheriff Fred. He has some kind of gray hair. Now, granted, Ned Bellamy's, you know, balding, but I don't think he looks as old as the sheriff and as Henry. So I still go with the comment that he made in episode two when Sam said to Barbara, which we now know because she was in the house, you know, she found us. So by saying she found us, 
I think that means more that they both came back together at the same time. And they were hiding out because they didn't know how to process what it meant to be returned at that point. But all these years, wouldn't somebody have been looking for that guy? I didn't even hear that he had passed away or not. That never really was brought up, or was it? Well, he worked, remember, he worked in a different town, you know, or he lived in a different town. So he wasn't really part of Arcadia. He was in Newton because that's where Fred went to go to the bar. Oh, so maybe yes. he had passed away and didn't, nobody really knew about it because he worked in a different town. Right. Um, okay. The other thing that comes to mind about this whole thing, too, though, is that if Barbara was the first returned and not Jacob, then Eric's formula is completely shot. Because as I was running through the return that were coming back in this episode, I was like, okay, the one guy's like, hey, this is in Korea. Well, Korea is about the 38th parallel. So if you put 38 into that formula, I don't think it works. Because this formula assumed that Jacob was the first returned. So if, if the Korea guy plug his stuff into the formula, I don't think the formula works to the 0.38, which means that potentially Jacob might not have been the first or the formula is just a big hooey pooey. There you go. That's an official term, by the way. Hooey pooey. Uh, hashtag hooey pooey. Now, is that I-E or E-Y? Uh, make it up however you want. Okay. We we better use both. But I was just throwing it out there because uh, anything is possible on this show as far as who came back first. Of course, since we, the viewers watching the pilot, first saw Jacob, I think they're really going to steer us into that direction. I was just throwing it out there. Could be, but it's a great, it's a great question. You never know. Now I'm also wondering, you know, on further review, did Gary Humphrey shoot Rachel or did Rachel accidentally pull the trigger in the struggle and shoot herself? And does it matter? Well, I think it might because if she pulls the trigger, even though it's an accident shooting herself, technically then she would have quote unquote killed herself which then makes it, once again, a suicide. So, granted, she didn't have preconceived thoughts about it, but at the same time, if she kills herself, maybe that was the recipe for her coming back yet again in Rachel 3.0. Well said, Troy. Well said. What do you think about the miracle blood? Any further thoughts on that since we know that Caleb's disappeared and we're just wondering how maybe Rachel's might be working? Well, I'm not going to give anything away for anyone that hasn't seen Les Reverence on the French version of The Return, which the show and that show have nothing to do with each other, but a very similar concept of gunshot and a returning again for the second time. You know, So I think that this Miracle Blood thing is a really interesting twist because the Miracle Blood in combination with Rachel coming back for a second time was done differently in Les Reverence. And now this is something that was a different twist. And I like I like this twist better in Resurrection, to be quite honest. The fact that it's a third body and not a second body self-healing and then coming back to life. And your French uh, pronunciations are coming along quite nicely. I'm trying. Now, I'm wondering, now that we have, what, over 100 or something like that returned, all showing up at once, and apparently all in Arcadia, How's the blood bank going to operate? Because, you know, they're used to asking people if you have type O, be negative or whatever the blood types are. Now they might have to ask, now, are you a return? Do you have miracle blood? We have a special vial for that. Do they pay extra? How does it all work? The question is, is once you take it out of me, how long does it stay put? Because it could just disappear into thin air. <laughs> that is touched on on uh, listener voicemail a little later as well. You got anything else before we dig into this awesome interview? I can't wait to share this with everybody. Well, now that there's so many people back and there's these connections amongst the returned about how Jacob can feel Caleb and Jacob could, we assume, feel Rachel. And we talk about that in the listener theories and comments as well later on. But can Jacob channel anybody or can they channel each other? So my real question becomes is who can sense who? I mean, Caleb said that you know, he could kind of reach beyond and talk to that little boy that was involved with uh, Agent Bellamy's, you know, case back in the day. Right. And then he kind of felt like he had a connection there. And then he was talking about, you know, more coming, more than you can even imagine. So it assumed that the return can connect with each other. But so far, Caleb, or, I'm sorry, Jacob's the only one who's actually reached out and actually made the connection 
and specifically said, I can feel Caleb. I can sense Rachel, even though he didn't say it out loud, we can clearly see visually that he did. Um, so my question is, is, does that get noisy now? There's so many people coming back as there's so much cross communication in that ether, if you will, to have maybe Jacob's head explode with the epilepsy problem. And does that pause bad news for Jacob? Hmm. Great points, Troy. Listeners, give us a call at area code 904-469-7469. Again, jot this down, put it in your speed dial. It's 904-469-7469. Let us know what you think. How are things going to play out with this? My personal vote is if that's the case, if Jacob is able to sense in one way or another all of the returned, now that there's a hundred or so of them, if it's something that's involuntary, I think he is. his head just may explode, like you said. Maybe it's selective and he can pick and choose different people, or maybe it's just special ties with the people he knew, like Rachel, and perhaps he knew Caleb in some fashion. But some of these people are long before Jacob was ever born, so I'm hoping that would be a way that he doesn't have to sense all of them. That's Makes a good sense? Point. Very good point. Connection is really the key. Like, who am I connected with? And that connection is what then helps me either stay rooted, if we use Maggie's term in Arcadia, or if I disappear. We talked about that with the whole, you know, Elaine didn't have any connection with Caleb anymore, so Caleb didn't stick around anymore. So, all in all, I think Schemes of the Devil fantastic episode of resurrection i would give this one 10 again another 10 10 out of 10 surprisingly paved roads unfortunately i can't go as high i'm gonna give it nine lives of rachel oh boy if she has nine she'll be very cat-like nine still an awesome rating i mean great stuff yeah, I mean, the only reason I gave it a nine was because, unfortunately, I read the book, and unfortunately, I did see Lay River Rond, and because of that, I kind of predicted what was going to happen to Rachel as soon as the gunshot happened, and I was like, oh, yep, there she is. Well, Van, I think you should... And, and, and ABC technically ruined it because they showed her looking at her corpse back in, like, episode two as the, like, this season on Resurrection, so because of that, you're like, well, she can't be looking at the same body because it would be, like, decomposed 12 years by now so when they showed the you know trailer again for this week and you saw her looking at her body it was like oh totally got it now yep she's okay. looking at 2.0 body okay now troy let's suppose that abc didn't screw up with that promo and that it, you never saw that and let's suppose you never saw that french show and let's suppose you never read the novel would this then have been a 10 Mm, no, I'd still go 9.5. Oh, uh, well, we're inching closer. <laughs> the scene, the scene with the guy that comes into the police station and he's like, yeah, it was a, it was a, it wasn't a paved road. And then it was a paved road and the whole, like, what's that computer? Th it was a little weird. It was that, that scene, even though it was kind of interesting to hear his like perception of what was going on, you know, and then he's like, what year is it? You know, that whole time travel thing we talked about on the, on the initial reactions episode, mm -hmm. you know, that, Art just was a little weird, but let me tell you, you know, uh, Devin Kelly, fantastic acting job at the table. Sheriff Fred comes in, looks at her. She looks at him. Fred walks away and she just kind of sits up just enough in the chair that you go, aha, maybe she's over at Sam's house. You know, that was very powerful. I have to admit. Um, and even Sheriff Fred having that realization in the, in the office, like, all these people are coming back. Oh my gosh, Barbara might be coming back. So that was really good. And then, of course, you know the, the cabin scene with you know Kathleen and Gary and her spinning it, saying that she's the devil. And then, of course, Gary, you know, fighting with her and the gun going off, and Gary just showing that remorse of you know it's not what I intended. You know, so the acting and the writing was fantastic this week, but you know, just wasn't quite as good as Insomnia. I think Insomnia was still the the best episode of the season. And you know what? Because that acting was so good, we're going to let Kevin Sizemore himself tell you exactly what went down as they produced and wrote and edited and shot and acted Schemes of the Devil. It's going to be great. Stick around. We'll be back with Kevin right after this. 
According to Wikipedia, the most trusted source for information made up by that guy down the street who steals the flags off of everybody's mailboxes, there are over 115,000 English language podcasts in existence today, but there's only one that makes more sense to those who don't speak English, The Voice of Steve. At The Voice of Steve, you can find out about all those things you thought you didn't care about. You still don't care about it. You just get to hear about it on The Voice of Steve. Entertainment news, business news, sports news, international news, movie news. You'll find all that and more somewhere else. But you can hear Steve's take on all that on The Voice of Steve. You can like it on Facebook. It's free on iTunes. And you can download it where it all began. Podomatic.com. Listen to The Voice of Steve now. It's voice of Steve Erific. Well, everyone, we are back again with uh, an unbelievable cast interview. I mean, what a performance this week. Gary Humphrey taking it all the way to the top and over the top even as he confronts Rachel in the cabin. We are blessed to have Kevin Sizemore with us this evening. Kevin, this is a huge role for you considering what you've been doing recently. You were on Under the Dome last summer and now getting resurrection and from what i understand this part was actually smaller originally and because they loved you so much they actually wrote gary a bigger storyline well th- hello guys and thank you for having me i i hope they liked what i'm doing yeah uh what we figured and what we thought that i'd come in and do maybe you know two or three episodes and i i think the crucial moment happened when i when i came back in town to do that one scene when caleb actually killed my cousin i don't know if you remember back in like episode i don't know maybe it was five or so four i came in for a quick moment saying did you find him what's going on and when that happened i had a sense of this this character might you know have some legs to it and where they took me and where they're taking me i cannot thank the writing team enough at abc for what they're doing because not only is it a blast to play a character like this it's a blessing to be able to work with such good writers who when they're writing something and you're flipping the page it's just so easy to read that dialogue it's really really fun and you're absolutely doing a great job at it because this past week you've got gary humphrey kind of freaking me out just a little bit there kevin well you know when you're looking at how gary is positioned my my backstory for Gary was, you know, he was like a big fish in a small pond. I mean, you know, he is the leader on the football team. And, you know, he marries Polly, who's probably a cheerleader. And they have everything. And everyone thinks they're the power cup when they're going to go far. And things just didn't work out for either one of them. You know, maybe they drug themselves down a little bit. And maybe one was trying to go or the other one didn't. And they kind of held on to him and kept them in the small town, whatever it may have been. You know, when you're in a small town... And you have dreams of getting out of that town, you're usually going to get into some trouble of some sort. Somehow you are. And that's ended up what happening with Gary. And he got his life back on track. And Pastor Tom, he's the guy that married us. He's a buddy of mine. And I straighten my life out. I like to go hunting and I like to go to church and I'm on the church board and everything's okay. Everything's pretty smooth. And then all hell breaks loose when these things, these people, these it's whatever people might call them, come back. And my perception of this, if Fred is not going to do anything about it, and Tom's not going to do anything about it, then I'm going to do something about it. Now, did you draw on this character of Gary Humphrey? Because you're obviously from West Virginia, also a small community. Did you use any of your upbringing to kind of shape what Gary would become in this show? In the beginning, no, because I knew I was going to come in and do two or three quick episodes and it was bam, bam, get in and get out. You know, you just do your job. You don't make more than what it is. You read the dialogue and you kind of fill it out. And I didn't really dig too deep. When I started digging was when I had episode six come my way. And that was when we had the big um, episode where we had seven or eight pages strolling down the church. And we had that big blow up between me and and Tom and uh, Bellamy. And then, of course, Helen and then Rachel shows up. When that happened, that's when I had to start thinking back on who am I and where am I going with this guy and what's going on because you're trying to prepare for a character that you don't know how to prepare for because you don't know the end result, which is very challenging, but at the same time is also very good because it keeps me as an actor on my toes. If I knew the outcome of the show, like in a movie, you you usually know the movie's outcome, but in this situation, we don't know week to week what we're doing. 
if I know the outcome, whether I want to or not, I might show tendencies or I might show certain examples of what the outcome might be by a gesture that I don't even know that I'm doing. So I'm glad I don't know what I'm doing. I'm glad I don't know where (laughs) Gary's going because it's exciting. It really is so much fun for me to sit back and just, you know, let our riders just go nuts. I mean, they're just riding. I mean, I, you know, riders such as I didn't, I didn't work with, uh, Tom, I didn't work with him at all, but Nikki and, you know, Jessica and Nathaniel and Michelle and Tara, of course, Jason, who wrote the existence of this with the returned and Aaron, his team that he's put together. I just sat back and I just laugh and go, are you kidding me? How did I get this job? How did I get so blessed for me to be able to, to be able to just uh, go on a set and work with these actors and this writing group with ABC and just sit back and just it's really a blessing. It's fun. And and I know I've told them individually, they know how appreciative I am. Now, the one thing that's really great about this show is the character development and this concept of what is the right thing to do. I mean, we talked to Veronica Cartwright, who plays Helen on Resurrection last week, and she was, why is everybody calling me a villain? Why is everybody victimizing me? I'm just doing what everybody else would do in the situation. It's stand up for what I believe in and what I believe in is this town and these people and I want to protect my own. And I think that that might have something to do with where the show goes going forward because there's going to be people that are the returned or a blessing like Pastor Tom and the Langstons. And there's people like you and Helen who just have questions about what does this mean and how does it affect my existence? Well, Helen makes a good point and, and Veronica is just a seasoned pro. What a, what a sweetheart to work with. We've been able to spend a lot of time with her back in Atlanta when we're filming and also here on a friendship basis. She's right. She's doing what a lot of people are thinking and Gary is doing what people are like, well, if I was there, that's what I would do. If I was, that, you know, that's what we're doing, what people are thinking. And, you know, you, you always bump into that person who everyone says, well, he's rude or he's cocky or he's this or that. Well, that person's not rude or cocky. They're just saying what's on their mind. When you meet someone who says something that's on their mind, you either have to look at them as being just rude or you have to respect them. And I feel on what Gary's doing is he's got to be respected for at least trying to make a difference in this town when no one's really doing anything. Yeah, he's definitely a take action kind of guy. You've played a few of those in the past. And so it's good to see somebody actually taking action and just grabbing the bull by the horns, even if it might be a little misguided at times. Well, yeah, and that's where you fall back into my past, where you throw a bottle and a gun and a knife in a cabin with the girl, something's going to (laughs) happen. Very well put. And that cabin, we've talked about it before, it could really use some sort of makeover. Call the Property Brothers or somebody. Listen, I uh, I like to keep things very basic. I like to have a lot of light shooting through the side so I can get my own light. I don't, I don't like to pay for lighting. I like to have natural light. <laughs> and and you know what's great about when we did the cabin shot? When I opened the door and Matt Craven is standing there and I'm looking and you see Matt looking at me, that was all green screen. They did a wonderful job on that green screen because, um, you know, the outside of the cabin, of course, and when Matt comes in and you see me, that's exterior. But when you're looking outside, that was really awesome stuff they did. Now, your friends that were there helping you out, I mean, in the previous episode, we got to basically meet Poker Club meets Gun Club. You're, they're talking about, we got your back, Sheriff, if, if anything goes south. But at the same time, these guys kind of backed out on you and said, hey, we're not cool with this, Gary. We're going to you know, kind of back off. So where does that leave Gary? Is he kind of like up in the air with his friends then, or do they make amends? Well, when you look how Gary, and I think you hit it earlier, uh, I think Wayne said this, you know, he's like, he likes to take charge and he's going to do it his own way. And his buddies, they, they're the guy and the guys that jab each other and they're all hunting together and they're having fun and everything's all cool and they can joke at each other. But when I, I think things have changed now more when the bottle is in the action, because, you know, I don't, I don't see Gary being that big drinker like he was. Yeah, he might have a beer. He might, you know, have a shot or something here and there. But when you have a fifth and you're drinking that bottle the way he's drinking it and you know that he's not working on a normal, sane way, he doesn't care what happens with his friends because he's not even thinking about tomorrow. He's thinking about right now. And that's probably the worst thing he could be thinking about because, Fred gives him the opportunity to get out. Hey, 
Go dry up. Get out of here. Do whatever you want. Get out of town. We'll fix it. No problem. I should have ran and said, you know what? Thanks for being a true friend. But I didn't. I got screwed up because then I take her hostage and then you saw what happened. Yeah, and I think that was really good advice from Fred. And speaking of some of the things that Gary might be thinking about, how do you think Gary might feel if his cousin Dale also becomes one of the returned? Wayne, that's a great question. I don't know. I really don't know how he's going to feel about that. I don't know if he's going to take the approach of you're one of them or, hey, you're back. That would be a wonderful surprise. And who knows what other surprises are going to come along in the future. I mean, Gary can go a bunch of different ways with your imagination can just run rampant on ideas of why am I so determined to take care of this quote unquote problem that we have in Arcadia? You know, what's going on in my past that maybe I don't want to see come back or, you know, what has happened or what there's a million things you can come up with. And I just I can't wait to see where they take this guy. And I think that's what really stands the show apart from other stuff on television right now. It's It's got that feeling of there's more depth to these characters than what you see in these first eight episodes. We got really great glimpses of that when we talk about uh, Maggie's previous relationship with Dr. Ward or even all the way back to the little boy and the fact that he dies in that river. And yeah. when that happens, what's that ripple effect? I mean, the factory closes. When you have the main factory that employs everybody in town, how does that affect everybody else in town and how they move forward from that point? Well, yeah, because the Langstons, they were the prominent household in that in that town who, you know, we're not saying they're the rich, the richest family around, but they supplied a lot of jobs for a lot of people. They helped out. They were good stewards of that town. And when when Jacob passed away, um, you know, as, as any parent would be, I'm a parent of a nine year old. And as any parent would be, you would be absolutely crushed and nothing else matters. And you saw the effect. So you're right. Yeah. Listener Hank Davis, he also does a fan podcast for an ABC drama, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan podcast, but he wanted us to run this by. He says that after watching you on Under the Dome and on Resurrection, he thinks that your characters might have to come up with some handgun safety classes in the near future. I resent that (laughs) statement. Um, Now, listen, on Under the Dome, yes, I had a Barney Fife moment, okay? (laughs) I didn't mean to do it. Here, I think Rachel pulled the trigger. It wasn't me. I'm going to plead the fifth on that one. So you know what? I'm, I am I resent that, and I'm very upset right now. We can tell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like they say, right? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Yeah, exactly. What's your next project you're working on, and do you have a gun? <laughs> yes, I do have a project I'm working on. No, thank the Lord, I do not have a gun. And if they ask me to carry one, I will say no. It's called Sinking Sands. I'm doing a film that I'll be shooting outside of Atlanta. I think I start shooting there, if I'm not mistaken, probably the middle of June. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be in the middle of June. It's, it's fun. I'm working with the girl that I've, I've worked with in the past. Her name is Jen Godson. We did a little short film together with my son. And it did really well in all the film festivals. We had a great time. It's directed by uh, Brian Yarborough. And another friend of mine is in this film. Uh, her name is uh, Sandra Williams. So it's going to be nice to hook up with the girls a little bit. And I haven't seen them in a while and go play. I play um, a defense attorney prosecuting. My, my client is uh, supposedly on trial for killing someone. And I'm doing the best I can to make sure that that does not come forth. Well, I can tell that you've been awfully busy just since we've spoken with you last summer for Under the Dome Radio. In fact, you even got me to do something that I've never done before. Do we have to say that in public? What did I do? What happened? (laughs) You got me to watch an episode of Drop Dead Diva. (laughs) I had to check it out because you were on there, Kevin, and had a nice role there at the end. Was, Was that the young man that was on Touch? Yeah, yeah, David. He's a superstar. He just got cast as the new Bruce Wayne in the Gotham series. And listen, I worked with Batman. I'm pretty cool. So that was you me. Are. Uh, yeah, Drop Dead Diva was a blast. It was, it was one of those shows that I've been asked to audition for multiple times, many, many, many times. Josh Berman, he just could. He's the uh, creator. 
he didn't find the right character for me. I'm a specific type and I do certain things that very well and I, I know what I'm right for. And there are certain characters that I'm, that I was going to be doing and at the last minute they would change it up. And this one came along and there was a break in my schedule of about a week and a half or two weeks. When it came along, I knew it wasn't a, a huge 30 scenes, 12 scenes, five scenes, whatever. It was two scenes, but it was the most powerful two scenes that I've played in a very long time. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was so much fun. I, it was wonderful. I had so much fun doing that with David, that scene where I get to play his dad where no one knew that I was his father. And it was, it was really nice. If anyone wants to check it out, it's on season six, episode four. Yeah, my wife started watching it too. So she hasn't quite caught up to you yet, but I know that the rate she's been consuming Drop Dead Diva, it will be here sooner than I can even imagine. Yeah, yeah, my wife has seen it four or five times. It's at the very end of the episode and every time she balls. I mean, it's, it's really an emotional scene. As an actor, you have to take yourself out of the equation and watch what's on camera. I mean, what's on screen, not watch you on screen on those moments. And it was one of the first times I've ever watched myself on camera. And I go, wow, that was really a great scene. Not as great job, Kevin. I'm talking about David, Kevin, what Josh put together with the crew. Also with, with Kate Levering. Uh, she plays Kim Caswell. Everything just worked. And it was really beautiful. When you can have those moments, that's why I wanted to be an actor. You know, when I was a young, stupid kid, I wanted to be a superstar. You want to be a celebrity. You just want to be famous. And as you learn the business, you have to realize that it is a business and it's not about just being a celebrity. It's about finding projects that are, that you're passionate about. Number one, that you can work with some wonderful people on both sides of the camera and, and, and being able to touch the audience in a way to where they walk away feeling upset, which is what Gary's doing to some people, um, confused, which is what people are saying. Why is Gary doing that? And then sometimes you, you make them feel happy, et cetera, et cetera. When you can do that as an actor, musician, a painter, whatever you do in the entertainment field, as sports, anything, that's what it's about. That's really what it's about. And if you love your job and you just follow your path, God's got a plan for me. And I know that. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm very blessed to be able just to have a job. And to know that I can touch people and walk away and go home to my lovely family every night, life does not get much better than that. It really doesn't. And it totally comes across this week in the episode, too, because you'd have, you know, I'd say camp of people who are like, oh, I can't believe that he shot Rachel. You know, what an awful person. But then you sit there and you can see this remorse on his face as he's just sitting there looking at Fred going, you know, I didn't mean to. This wasn't my plan. This wasn't what was supposed to happen. And he feels that general sorrow. And I mean, that just came off so well that I hope that most of the people in the audience also got that as well. No, thank you. And I was, when I was watching the episode, we had a few friends over last night when the show was on and, and I wasn't paying as much attention because when you're live tweeting with everyone, you're like, you miss some things. So when I went back and, and kind of clicked through the frames and watched it a little bit with my wife again, I, I did not notice that they put that last shot when Fred throws Gary up against the wall right before the scene ends and Gary says I'm sorry and he's crying and I did not know they put that in and when I saw that I go that's what I was hoping would happen so they understand that I'm not this horrible person I really I made a mistake and sometimes Gary might be trying to be tougher than he really is it's an impossible situation all the way around and Jason did that a really great job explaining that and showcasing that in the book itself yeah, now, assuming that you finally got to read all of Jason's book because I know it wasn't quite out when you guys yeah originally yeah I did yeah I actually did I didn't read it until um yeah I, I tell you when I read it I was in uh, Atlanta when I was shooting Drop Dead Diva we got hit with that big storm and I was in my hotel we didn't go anywhere for four days so my uh -huh. three days of shooting turned into nine so I read Jason's book while I was there and it was uh it was great it was just me in the hotel and and the and the treadmill going at it for for a week and it was wonderful. We are talking with Kevin Sizemore, the actor who plays Gary Humphrey on Resurrection. And as you've heard on some of the episodes of the podcast, Kevin, uh, we'd like to do a rapid fire segment, maybe learn some little inside tidbits about you and maybe even some things about Gary. So you've heard where we ask you some questions. We'd love it if you could answer as yourself and then answer how you think Gary would answer it. So we'll just start off with the easy one first, Kevin. What is your favorite color and what is Gary's favorite color? 
Well, this is interesting. Um, my favorite color and Gary's favorite color are the same color, but not for the same reasons. I like the color green, more of a hunter green. My eyes turn different colors from time to time. So my wife finally made me settle on a color and she goes, your eyes turn green when you wear green. So just keep them green. So for me, it's green. And for Gary, it's also green because he loves going hunting. He enjoys that. I thought it might be because one or both of you were uh, fans of the 13-time world champion Green Bay Packers. I just wanted to check. You know, I, you don't even want to know what my team is. Move on. Oh, Lord. Favorite movie? For me, it's Shawshank Redemption. It's always been that. I've loved that movie ever since I was even wanting to be an actor. And for, for Gary, it's Roadhouse. <laughs> Interesting. How about your favorite season of the year and Gary's? That's a hard one. I, I'm, I'm split because I do like the cold weather, but I guess if I had to choose between the freezing cold and, and the beautiful sunshine, I'd probably have to go summer. And I would think uh, Gary would like winter because he likes getting out there and it's time to, you know, go hit the mountains and get his rifle. Favorite type of music? And what would Gary listen to while he's out taking out some deer? Gary's more of a Leonard Skinner, Jason Aldean guy, I would think. Me, man, I, I've got an eclectic style of music. I love so much Darius Rucker and Rascal Flatts. I love country music. I uh, Tesla, I uh, love those guys. I, I listen to a lot of Christian music. I even like some Bruno Mars. You know, I, I like a little bit of everything. I really do. So with the country then, how do you feel about ABC's Nashville? Have you been following that at all? You know what? A buddy of mine uh, is on Nashville. I'm very, I just really hope they get a season three. Charles Easton, his name is, well, everyone knows him as Chip. He plays Deacon Claiborne. He and I used to play basketball together twice a week, 15 years ago, every week for years and years. And that was back before and while he was doing Who's, uh, Who's Line Is It Anyway, I think. And man, such a good guy. I've worked with Eric Close before. I did, um, I did a, a show he did back in the day. Uh, I like the show. I, th I think it's a fun show. I love country music. I'm really glad that they did not take it out of Nashville because I know there was a talk of them taking that show out of Nashville and, and that, that show needs to stay in Nashville. But, you know, certain shows, put them where they are. I mean, I'm, I'm an advocate of let's keep shows in Los Angeles because, you know, that's where all the actors live and we don't want to leave our families. That's really difficult on everyone to have to move and bounce around. But, you know, a show like Nashville, you, know, you, you can't fake that. Now, Kevin, if you could have one person come back to life like the returned on Resurrection, um, who would it be and what one question would you ask them? I never met my grandfather, my dad's dad. I think he held me once. You know, I'd like to, there, there's a handful of questions I'd like to ha ask him, I think. Also, my, my dad's brother passed away when I was very young. He was that uncle that you never saw a lot of, but when you saw, you know, you knew you're going to wrestle and you're going to have a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I, it, it was cut way too short. So I have uh, a few with him. I just realized uh, when I got this show, I was filming and I came home and I told my mom, hey, this is the characters and here's a show. And she goes, well, what's Kurtwood's character's name? And, you know, what's Francis's character's name? And I said, oh, it's, it's, um, it's Henry and Lucille. And she got very silent. And that is my grandparents' names who are no longer with us, which is really ironic that they're playing my grandparents who are not with us anymore. And I'd love to have, I really would like to have another night with my grandmother. She used to play the guitar a lot, and I would sit there with her. The music that I have in my, my life, I think, came from my grandmother. And my grandfather was the total opposite. He was very quiet, worked on the railroad. I'd just like to have had another conversation with them. So I know I'm giving you a lot more than you probably asked for, but I'm not just a one-answer guy. There's a lot out there that I'd like to give and uh, give back to my family, and I'd love to be able to hug them all one more time. I really would. I just thought of something, and you know, this, this and I, and I kind of feel guilty for even thinking of this, but I never met my wife's mom. We missed each other by one year, and you know, all the photographs that I've seen of her. I've never had, a, I, I, I would have driven her nuts and I would have loved it. She would have just <laughs> chased me around with a pot and a pan and it would have been so cool to be able to just see her smile face to face. So yeah, I'm throwing you five, but oh well.
what kind of mayhem went on the set? So if there's something about Gary, maybe even around the church scene, because I, I heard from Veronica that it got a little wild at times. What could we see on a season one DVD with you acting out? Well, you know, I don't know if they're going to catch any of this on camera, but I remember the uh, the most fun I think I I had on 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 the set with the extras were were when we were all in the um, in the church, and there was probably 300 extras there, and they were so committed to everything that was happening. I mean, I'm telling you, they were the last pew in the church, nowhere near a camera, and when when Hildreth said his lines up there as Pastor Tom, they would be in the back going, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe him. We got." I, we're leaving this church and they're just so into the character and I'm watching this thinking that's what it's about man you guys are invested so I would goof off with them high five laugh joke and I remember at one point they're all being very quiet in the pews and I took my hat off and I walked up and down the aisles and I said anyone like to tithe for a donation <laughs> <laughs> did they not no, I didn't make any money <laughs> not a dime I love it and Kevin, on a personal note, Troy and I were both so jazzed when we heard you and Sheila Brothers sing such nice things about our Resurrection Revealed podcast and our Under the Dome radio podcast when you were on Sheila's uh, Wilmington, North Carolina morning radio show recently. We just want to thank you so much for your support, Kevin. Oh, man, I, I, I am so happy for you guys because when I first met you guys on uh, Under the Dome, I, I believed I don't know, maybe this is weird, but I believed in you. I believe that you guys are doing what's good for our show. And I, and I could hear that through Under the Dome. And I know you're doing what's good for Resurrection. You are making it better. You're educating more people on things they never thought about about the show. And me and along with the other actors and, and I know all the producers, everyone involved, I know that they're all very thankful. Thank you for saying that. It was a pleasure for me to say that about you guys. And uh, thank you for making our show better known to other people. We, we really appreciate your help and all that you're putting into it. Well, it's been a great season so far. Upfronts are around the corner, crossing fingers. Season two has to be a for sure thing. The DVR numbers are, again, off the chart last week, plus seven days. Got to see where this goes, right? Because we need more Gary Humphrey. Yeah, I think there's a lot that Gary needs to take care of before he even thinks about going anywhere. And my God, if you shoot me, I mean, I'd probably just come back anyway. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> right. Very true. Very true. Well, it's been great. Thank you so much, Kevin, for coming on the show and talking with the fans. Is there any final charity project or anything that the fans can get behind to help you out? You know, I, I have my hand in a lot of different things. Um, I help as much as I possibly can. Uh, something that's really dear to my wife's heart and I is uh, LLS.org, Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLS.org. And, and I'm more of an advocate of, I mean, you can, you can get out and you can tell people what to do and how they should do it. But if you don't have the funds to do anything, just help each other. Just help someone. Open a door for someone. Just be kind. Everyone helps each other out. That's really what I'm passionate about. Just trying to go through life and not let things get too serious. It goes by very fast. All we know is that we do live and we do die. We know that for a fact. And in between all that, let's try to make that as fun as we can until we leave this earth. That's pretty much all I have. Well, it's been great. And of course, all the fans will have links to everything, the LLS.org charity as well. You can find all of that at our show notes at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Kevin. And again, just Awesome. Thanks again for taking the time out. This has been great. Hopefully we can chat again next year with season two. That's the plan. Thanks, buddy. Have a great night. God bless you guys. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's been a blast. We appreciate you taking the time out, spending it with us yet again. Thank you. Awesome, as always, to talk to Kevin. I mean, couldn't do the show without him. He's been a great, great help. You know, just getting the word out and, you know, talking to the domies from under the dome. We hope that all of you resurrection fans can join us this summer as we do return for under the dome radio at under the dome radio.com for season two in another small town dealing with a crisis over in Chester's mill. But that's a different story for a different day because we want to hear your stories in the awesome listener feedback section. Take it away, Mr. Jeff Gentry. Hey, this is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11, calling in. Wow, so we now know that if somebody dies, 
from the resurrected and their time here is not done, their thing isn't accomplished, they can come back. Now the question is, does she remember what happened? But that still didn't answer. Can Caleb come back? Because he just disappeared. Um, we don't know if he can or not. I mean, we don't know if his time was done or not. So this raises all kinds of questions. Looks like it's going to be a good finale next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Excellent. Jeff, thanks for giving us a call at area code 904-469-7469. And so do you think that's what plays into it, that perhaps her work here was not yet done, and until whatever that work is is done, she may just keep coming back. I mean, that's the theory that we ran with with Caleb's disappearance, right? Because he finished his work. He had that disconnection from his constant and his daughter. And because of that, he disappeared just like he miraculously reappeared. And the thing that he mentioned, though, it's like, you know, now we know that the return can come back. We don't know that everybody can come back. We know that Rachel can come back. Exactly. And I wonder, again, if it's partly because of the way she died the second time, if that has something to do with the way she was able to come back. But again, we don't know if she knows anything about Rachel 2.0 because she does come back in that red dress versus what she was wearing in the cabin. And I think that's a telltale sign that it's almost like a reset kind of thing. Makes you think now it's probably more like timeline alternate dimension concepts versus aliens or otherworldly beings. And I think we're going to get those answers. I would assume they give them to us in the first 15 minutes of the finale on Sunday night. And then we'll know and we can kind of move on because obviously we don't have any confirmation for sure whether or not Caleb's work was done or if he just threw all the chances away is what it appeared to me. But we'll we'll know soon enough, I think, on that side. You watched Lost, Wayne. Just like we were going to meet the others in the end of the first season. And then we always saw was it just a giant campfire. We're not going to get any answers. This show's going for like five, six years. Come on. <laughs> Line them up, Alex. Well, Julian Fielding actually wrote in and said, since Resurrection is sort of a remake of that French language series, The Returned, called Les Reverend, I think that it has something to do with the river. It was already mentioned that there might have to be something to do with it because everybody died or was touched in death by the river. What it is, is anyone's guess, though. I wonder if the people aren't being cloned somehow. I've heard people mention aliens, but that might be too simplistic because there really aren't being quote-unquote resurrected because they have to be clones. Otherwise, they'd be coming back in their original bodies if they were quote-unquote resurrected. So most likely, it's probably beings from an alternate dimension. Basically, they want to know, are we going Stephen King here without King himself? Julian, thanks for sending that in. Um, that's kind of blowing my mind. I think that would be fantastic, Stephen King-ish or not. Uh, maybe alternate Walter Bishop is up to his old tricks again from Fringe. Uh, I'm going to go with that one. That's the closest to what I think it might be going on here. Parallel Earths. Or is it multiple timelines? Because there's a difference, right? Multiple timelines assume something happened in the past that fractured a timeline And you get the different string theories, if you will, like Back to the Future, Doc Brown, Marty McFly, alternate 1986s, if you remember the movie, versus Parallel Earths, which truly exist in their own time and space. And then somehow there's a bridge that kind of crosses those universes over each other. It could be aliens from an alternate universe timeline of Earth. Okay, now you're just reaching. (laughs) Hey, if one's possible, they can all be possible. Yeah. (laughs) Let's uh, check in and see what else may have come in on the voicemail listener line. Hi, guys. This is David Deere from the Minister of Myself podcast. I wanted to leave a comment on your last podcast episode. Something that seems like you guys might have overlooked or didn't catch or something, but at least it appeared to me that when Jacob was being questioned as to whether or not he could sense Rachel. He was protesting and he was saying that he didn't want to do it and all, but just before they cut from that scene to the scene where Rachel is tied up in the shack, you could see Jacob's hands and he's wringing them behind his back and they're in the exact same position and he's making the exact same movements 
as Rachel's hands when they cut to her as they're bound and tied up behind her back. I personally think that that is kind of a hint to the connection that he really does have to her that he wasn't necessarily willing to share. It also makes me wonder if he was a little anxiety ridden by picking up on her own anxiety by being held captive and being in a very, very extremely stressful, intense situation. Anyway, love the love the show. Love the podcast. Keep it up, guys. It's awesome. Looking forward to the next episode. Thanks. Hello, this is Neil from Bowie calling into Resurrection Revealed on Schemes of the Devil. So this is a big episode, lots of big events here. Uh, see at the beginning that Jacob makes a friend with a uh, little girl, Jenny, and we find out later in the episode that she turns out to be a child who has uh, returned with her parents. Uh, anyway, our cast of characters find out that Rachel's disappeared, and they hope that Jacob can uh, sense whether J- Rachel is still around. He says he's too scared to find her. It is clear, though, that he does sense her. His hands are making the same motions that her hands are doing, trying to untie her ropes. His fear that he shows is her fear. That's what he's sensing, but he doesn't know it. He's too scared. At the same time, Gary wants Rachel to sense Caleb. Meanwhile, Maggie discovers that not only did Caleb disappear, but his drawn blood has completely vanished. Her friend Eric from the NIH uh, discovers that Jacob's blood can cure the leukemia in his own blood. Of course, the big drawback of this miraculous discovery is the question of what happens should Jacob disappear. Would anyone who was healed through his blood go back to how they were before? Would it be worth it to have a few more days, weeks, months of health? Rachel is shot and killed trying to take Gary's gun away from him. Later, after a whole bunch of people started reappearing in town, fulfilling Caleb's prediction, Agent Bellamy sees Rachel walking down the road. I'll have to wait until next episode to find out whether Rachel Mark III knows anything that Rachel Mark II did. With so many people returning, Fred is sure his wife has also returned. He runs home thinking he sees her, but it's just Maggie. Maggie knows where his, her mother must be, and the episode ends with the discovery that she has been returned all this time already, resuming the affair she had at the end of her life. We've got a big uh, season finale coming with, I'm sure, lots of surprises. That's all. Neil from Bowie and new caller Dave from the Minister of Myself podcast. Thanks for calling in, guys, at 904-469-7469. David and Neil both bringing up the hand ring, ringing scene, if you will. Now, David mentioned behind the back. It was actually in front of Jacob in his lap. And the only reason I, I don't think we mentioned it on Sunday was I thought it was really obvious. I mean, the camera panned down. It focused on Jacob's hands. It immediately cuts to Rachel's hands and the camera pans up. So I think that's probably why we skipped it on Sunday, just because I thought everybody picked up on it because it was just so blatantly obvious that they were making that clue that yes they were sensing each other but it was a really good point that neil brought up on the sensing the fear so i wonder if the fear that was basically coming through to jacob was actually rachel's fear of gary not the fact that jacob actually wanted to not help out interesting i like how that would tie into it and i really do appreciate uh david and neil's calls and mentioning that because even though you thought it was super obvious i missed it and it could have been because that my reception was kind of bad that night and it kind of froze up in a few spots. Whatever the excuse is, I didn't catch it. And so hearing Neil and David break it out for me just brings it to the forefront just in case anybody else might have missed it. And I think that really is an important key. And poor Jacob, it it looked like even though, you know, going back and watching it, watching it again, I take back what I said before where I thought that Jacob said, no, he could not do it, but it is more of a case of he did not want to uh, sense her and, or at least do it in front of everybody else. He was really freaked out. And on second viewing, made a lot more sense. (laughs) Absolutely. And I thought it was really convenient too, because here we don't know if Rachel could sense Jacob or sense Caleb, because Gary was only asking about Caleb. So of course, Rachel's answer is going to be, well, no, I can't sense Caleb because Caleb's not here. <laughs> so, of course, she's going to say no. She's not lying. That's so true. We don't, we don't know if she could, though, if he actually was. So, that's 
kind of a, a nice convenient way of figuring out, oh, well, can they sense each other? Which goes back to the top of the show where we said, is Jacob the only one that can do the channeling or not? So I think that was really clever. I really like Neil's comment too about uh, Miracle Blood. You know, we touched on it at the beginning of the show, but if you inject the Miracle Blood, like if Eric Ward, for example, were to inject this Miracle Blood into himself to cure his leukemia, because the blood disappears, would the cure disappear at the same time? I thought that was a really interesting point from Neil. Yeah, that would be so freaky if they do turn this into a factory of of cancer healing and other disease healing. And then all of a sudden those return disappear and these poor people are back right where they started. That's a powerful thought. That is good stuff. And so those that's were another, that's another show that's on uh, sci-fi. It's called Helix. It's that- just very similar of, you know, a miracle blood that could cure basically everything, every illness you could think of cancer, polio, MS. It's a disease. This blood cures it, but it also does something to you that you probably don't want to have happen to you, you know, basically what happens to the return at the same time makes you immortal. Hmm. Might have to look for Helix once this season's over and check that out as well. Now we did get an email from Max and this gives you something else to think about as well. My and it, th- talks about, it talks about your weather problem too, I do believe. <laughs> that explains my, my poor signal, I guess. Uh, Max says, My thoughts go back to the swirl in the coffee cup. Maybe the whole town of Arcadia was destroyed by a massive storm, always hearing rolling thunder in the background and the returned or coming back home to Arcadia. Maybe linear time doesn't exist in eternity, so the dead return at the same time somewhere from all eras. Just a thought, Max. And that's an awesome thought. I love it totally because that thunderstorm that was kind of rolling in right as Bellamy and Fred were standing in the woods as they were kind of reeling out Rachel's body, you know, Ooh, here's this death. And of course, big storm comes right as the death of a return happens. I thought that was really great. I don't know if that was planned or if it just happened to be thunderstorming that day when they were filming in Atlanta, but uh, that was really, really a nice kind of twist to have that happen because the one thing that people, I really love Max's comment too, because one thing people are kind of, posing is are the returned coming back or has the entire town been destroyed and everybody else doesn't know that they're really dead so they're actually all in some kind of way station if you will if you want to call it purgatory i know people don't want to use that term because that's what they think lost was all about which it wasn't it was not but um you know maybe they're in some kind of you know transient state where they're all there and the reason why they're showing up is because they've been there the whole time and people are realizing that, you know, something's going on. Now, often when I'm podcasting, I feel like I'm in a transient state as well, but that's beside the point. Um, That kind of whole thought pattern kind of reminds me of the Philip K. Dick book, Ubik. Now, if you haven't read it yet and you think you might, just to cover your ears for about 60 seconds, go, whatever it takes. This could be a huge spoiler if you have any plans to read it, but still an awesome book. So in the book, Ubik by Philip K. Dick, it all starts out that there's this terrible explosion and we think that these nine people all died in this horrific explosion and people like their boss and other people in the company and family and friends are trying to contact them because in this future, you're actually able to kind of connect up these electrodes and for a while after somebody dies, you can still kind of communicate with them, not uh, verbally, but you can sense their thoughts and talk back and forth. But we do find out later in the book that actually the reverse has happened and that those are the only people that survived. That blast was actually more than just their rocket or spaceship blowing up and everybody else is dead. And they're trying to contact those nine people because they're the only ones that are alive and it just gets flipped on its ear. And so when I hear Max's theory about Arcadia possibly being destroyed by a massive storm and all of this other stuff tying in. I just can't help think about that. And I just think it's a a brilliant storytelling. And if they go that route, then it's definitely science fiction. And I love how you said in that theory about the contacting them, you know, not, you know, verbally, but more thought process, which leads right into the whole, can Jacob and the return contact each other telepathically? And have great conversations but at the same time that's an awful lot of pressure for a a 10 year old kid to have to be in i agree 
Now, we also heard uh, from listener Stephen this week. He's got something else to share with us for us to ponder, at least until we see the finale on Sunday night. Hey, guys, this is Stephen from Wisconsin. I just wanted to give my two cents on the latest episode. I, as I stated on Twitter and everything, when the hundreds of people that came back, I thought that everything was just going to break out from there. And I have a feeling that in the finale, one of the cliffhangers or twists definitely will be with the government coming in because it's kind of hard to hide something like this now from the outside public with there being thousands that are returning. Love the podcast and keep it up. Bye. Thank you, Stephen. Stephen from Wisconsin, 904-469-7469. Write it down. Make it a permanent contact in your phone. That way you can call in right away after the finale ends on Sunday. And the question is, is which military branch, right? Is it state patrol? Is it going to be local army reserves? Is it going to be, you know, FBI, CIA type of stuff? I think that'll be the question. If military does show up, which military is it going to be? I think I know. It very well could be Emily Thorne from Revenge and her special division of the Department of Homeland Security. (laughs) Very well could be. It's a crossover episode. Uh, That would be fantastic. It's bound to get messy because, uh, as they've kind of alluded to, when you have a hundred something people coming back from the dead, eventually there's going to be word leaked out. I just have a feeling. And I don't think we've seen the last of the onslaught either. I think there's going to be a lot more coming back in the season finale as well. Well, considering it is a small town, I mean, there's got to be at least a reasonable limit to the number of people coming back. If it was maybe the whole history of New York City, then we're in for a big, big mess. But Arcadia, Missouri, I'm just kind of guessing because it's all fictional. I would say maybe three, four hundred, five hundred tops, maybe. I guess it depends on how far back in time you can go. Like you talked about on our premiere episode where we talked about uh, the producer of the show, Aaron Zellman, talking about how maybe history being actually a character in the story. I can see where that is coming to fruition now. Absolutely. And there's a lot of history, especially if you take a look at the costumes that were worn. You know, we're talking, you know, Korea was like late 50s. You know, you had the guys that Fred almost ran over that looked like either World War One or World War Two aviator bombardiers. Right. Um, you had the Bolo Man, which could have been 1920, 40, or 60, depending on where you want to place him. If, you know, depending on, it's Arcadia too. So, you know, maybe they had gravel roads for a while. So it might have been, you know, later 50s, 60s instead of the 20s. But, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how these all play together and where these people, is this a grandparent? Is this a, you know, somebody that started a company and the company's not there. And, you know, there could be all kinds of interweaving stories with our main cast of characters based on these people returning. Now, as we try to figure all of this out, um, Caleb's daughter, Elaine wants to remind us. I can't handle one of your theories right now. It's confusing enough as it is. Hang in there, Elaine. Once we figure out the theories, it'll be a little less confusing. That's what I'm hoping. Right, Troy? Absolutely. (laughs) Details, as I've heard uh, Troy Heinrich say on an occasion or something. Now, of course, you can uh, follow us on our Facebook page for Resurrection Revealed. Also on Twitter. In fact, let's go to the great Larry King to let everybody know where they can find us on Twitter. At Resurrection Pod. There's a Resurrection Pod. Yes, Larry, there is a Resurrection Pod, and that is also our Twitter handle, at Resurrection Pod. I still can't believe Larry King said the name of our Twitter account when he was uh, talking with Omar Epps and answering the, the question we sent, and I still am blown away by that. Yep, and you can see that full interview with Larry King and Omar Epps right at our website, ResurrectionRevealed.com. Just click on blog and scroll through until you find the video. It was a great interview uh, with Omar Epps. Fantastic stuff. Now, the the Resurrection Revealed community of listeners has really taken it into high gear, Troy. You you alerted me to this, that all of a sudden we've gotten a lot more great iTunes reviews lately, and you've kind of compiled a list. Can you uh, share that with us? Because I'm humbled and blown away by everything going on lately. Yes, we had a, a plethora come in from last week, so we want to thank Lorraine the Travel Agent, says Dynamic Duo. Lila 56, entertaining, Kathy RN 137, the podcast pluses the viewing experience, Mm. Dexter Cornell, what a great companion show, Ron P 1979, great podcast, 
and Marjorie too, who sums it up best. Love the podcast, actor interviews, speculation about what's ahead, the book series is based on all part of this great podcast. It is an integral part of watching Resurrection. Thanks so much to everyone. Again, we'd love to hear from you because we know there's a lot listening. Had a great, great month of downloads for us here at the podcast. So head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash iTunes to leave a review so we know how we can make season two even better because renewal has to be around the corner. It has to be, depending on how the parallel universe timeline shifting with the alternate Earth and the aliens, how that all plays in. Season two has got to be coming. I also want to thank Rick and Amy Moyer on the Take Him With You podcast. They played a double shot rock and roll radio style of our podcast promos. Two in a row. They played Resurrection Revealed and our Under the Dome radio promo. So thank you so much, Rick and Amy, for sharing those. And in fact, Troy, you mentioned earlier our listener voicemail line of area code 904-469-7469. That same number is also used for Under the Dome radio. So this summer, when you're watching Under the Dome, if you already have that in your contacts, like Troy suggested, give us a call with your thoughts on and thoughts and theories on that show as well, because uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with that when that kicks off this summer. Yeah, we also want to say thank you to Rem and Ian and Jonathan over at the Sci-Fi Movie Guys podcast. They actually had Wayne on their show last week talking about the new 12 Monkeys TV show and, of course, the lasting influence of the movie itself. And they were just really appreciative of all the great work we're doing over here at Resurrection Revealed. So thanks, guys, for plugging us and, of course, the entire Noodle Mix network, as well as Wayne's past shows, Lost Casting and Fringe Casting with Wayne and Dan. Yeah, they were quite generous to spend a lot of time talking with me about what we're doing in the podcasting space. And it's very, very much appreciated. So, wow, crazy, crazy episode. Great discussions. The finale is almost around the corner. So I want to remind you that Resurrection Revealed is not yet affiliated with ABC Television or Plan B, and we would certainly like to be. But in the meantime, would you consider supporting our fan podcast in a couple of ways? Do your Amazon shopping with our affiliate link at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. And you can even donate to the podcast to help us invest in making Resurrection Revealed even better going forward. You can donate once, any amount you'd like, or even sign up for ongoing monthly donations if that's your uh, way to go. Anything you can do will really help keep this podcast rolling, and we thank you. Yeah, and don't forget, this coming Sunday, it is the season finale. And after the East Coast airing at 10.30 Eastern, 9.30 Central, we will be live podcasting, live chatting, making sure we all say, huh, together. So be there. Resurrectionrevealed.com slash live is where you want to be. You never know which cast members may be showing up. Again, 30 minutes after the East Coast airing. We'll see you there for sure. Until then, I'm Troy. And I'm Wayne Henderson. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Resurrection Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Like, welcome to Level 7. If you're loving ABC already and you love Marvel, then check out Welcome to Level 7, our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast waiting for you over at noodle.mx.